Dear friends, it goes without saying that the times in which we live are growing increasingly dark. We see with our eyes and we read, we see uh, so much distress and anxiety in this world. And we see countries with nuclear weapons making all kinds of Trying to stir people up. War language. And they have the, the ability in their fingertips to destroy the world with the weapons that they carry. The number of dead in, in, the, in, in Ukraine is now measured in the hundreds of thousands. Entire cities turn to rubble. Our own country appears to be drifting in a, in a direction that many of us could not have imagined 20, 30, 40 years ago. It seems that the people that we used to uh, look at as, as uh, unusual people, maybe a little crazy, are now the people in, in government. There are mayors, there are judges, there are congressmen and congresswomen. And we can look with distress at this and think, where is, where is society going? What good can possibly come of this? Some of us look at our children And we think, what world are they going to grow up in? What choices are they going to have to make? What kind of of discernment are they going to have to use as they face a world that is growing increasingly dark and perverse and twisted? And then, my friends, we can think about our own life. We can think about our own life. We can think about situations that we face day by day. We can think about our own hearts and our own minds and the stresses and anxieties that weigh down upon us as individuals. Stresses in our families. Stresses in our own personal, individual life and walk with God. Burdens that we carry. Many of us feel, don't, uh, many of us, uh, especially our elderly, feel the declining of their bodies and of their strength. And they know the time's coming when they will leave this life and enter into the next. And that, too, can be a cause of of distress and anxiety for them. And so, my friends, all around us, we can see society, and it can appear to us as if it's just crumbling, if it's just uh, uh, going from bad to worse. Now, my friends, for such people, when we feel those kinds of anxieties, those kinds of distresses rising in our minds, God has given us a book. And you can say, well, it's the Bible. Well, you're certainly right there. That's a good good answer. But there is a book within the book. And that is the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a book for those who are distressed. Why? Because more than any other book of Scripture, this is a book that highlights for us the victory of Jesus Christ. And that now is a key word this morning, my friends, to tuck into your mind. The victory of Jesus Christ. Because if Christ gains a victory, then he gains a victory for all those who are in him. So that it's not just a victory for Christ, it's a victory for Christians, for those who bear the name of Christ, for those who name the name of Christ in faith. For these ones, the book of Revelation is such a treasure. It's so precious for us. As difficult as you may think the book is to understand, Yet there's one message, isn't there? One message that 
hidden underneath all those symbols and all the, uh, sometimes even the bizarre character of the way that message comes to us. Hidden in all that is a very clear message. Jesus wins. The victory of Jesus Christ. And of course, that victory then is, is it also uh, is for all those who are in Christ. And so, my friends, I look with you then at the book of Revelation, and especially this Re Revelation chapter 12. Before I get to chapter 12, though, just a brief comment here about the outline of the book of Revelation. Because this is very interesting to take the chapter which we're going to consider, chapter 12, and to put it in the larger outline of the book of Revelation. Now, I put the outline, or at least something of an outline, on the sermon notes here. And you can see that the book of Revelation is largely divided up into these seal judgments. You'll remember that in Revelation chapter 5, there is this book that is going to be opened. And the book is held shut by seven seals. And no one can open the book until finally the Lamb, Jesus Christ, comes. And he is able to open the seals. And one by one, those seals are open. And the judgment that it contains on those pages, as the seal is open, what is contained there on that page of the book is a judgment that is then visited upon the earth. And so it's terrifying to read these judgments. Horrible, horrific things. And so naturally, then you begin to ask, how is this a comfort for the people of God? How, how is this a treasure for people who are already distressed by seeing the world and society around them crumbling into some twisted mess? Because, my friends, in the midst of these terrible judgments, there are, are these, what I'm going to call a parenthesis. You might say this excursus. In the middle of these, or not at the middle, but between the sixth and the seventh seal, there is this little parenthesis. And by that, I mean that the, the normal flow of the, the first seal, the second seal, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, right? All horrifying judgments that are being poured out upon the earth. But now between the sixth one and the seventh one, there is this little, well, there's a, a chapter, chapter seven, and it contains very much a message to the people of God that during the time when these judgments are going to be visited upon the earth, God isn't going to, in a special way, shield his people. In, in Revelation 7, they're called the 144,000. God is going to care for them. These judgments are not going to fall upon them. These judgments are meant for those who are opposed to God and who are against God and against his people. Yes, the people of God will pass through a great deal of suffering, but these judgments are not meant for them. They will be spared, but it is meant for the enemies of God. Then you have the trumpet judgment. So these trumpets are blown, and these trumpets are like announcements, or like the announcement of a herald. The trumpet blows, and another judgment is announced. And again, we find that between the sixth and the seventh judgment, there is this second parenthesis, followed by a third, a fourth, and a fifth. Some people, some expositors of the book of Revelation will put these all together and just call it one larger parenthesis because it encompasses chapters 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Uh, again, it makes no difference. Uh, I've divided them up a little bit more for, uh, to make it more useful. But at any rate, the important point is that between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, there is this second parenthesis, which is Revelation 10 and 11. Then the seventh trumpet is blown, and the, se the seventh judgment comes. And then there is this third parenthesis, which is actually the scripture then that we hope to consider this morning, Revelation 12. And a fourth and a fifth 
And then come the seven bowl judgments. And again, in the imagery of the book of Revelation, right, you can imagine this bowl that is there and is then poured out upon the earth. And that bowl contains terrifying judgments, awful judgments that God is going to pour upon the earth and it's going to fall upon the earth and work its terrible destruction. But again, the point that I want to give this morning is that in the middle of all these judgments that are taking place, God has a special place of care and protection for his people. Now, another thing to say about these judgments is we must not imagine, as many uh, interpreters today would say, that these judgments are, so you have the sealed judgments, first the first one, then the second, and the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh, and then start the trumpet judgments, so that by the time you get to the end of the bowl judgments, you've had 21 judgments that have taken place in sequential order. No, again, that doesn't fit the, the symbolic nature of the book of Revelation. What you really have here, my friends, is more of like a cycle that these, these sealed judgments represent all the distress and terror that is going to come upon the world as a result of God's judgments between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. So between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, there are represented to be seven sealed judgments which God is going to pour out upon those who despise him and who are his enemies. But at the same time, there will be these trumpet judgments. And the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments are actually related somewhat. Again, I could say more about that sometime. But, but uh, then when the seven bowl judgments come, there seems to be an intensification. These, the judgments that these bowls pour out upon the unbelieving world are complete and, and, and uh, the, the wicked are completely destroyed by them. So they, they, they again, that whole time between the first and it's, it's brought to a final uh, end at the second coming of Christ. Now, again, much more could be said about that. But my point now is to come to that third parenthesis, if I put it there, which is Revelation chapter 12. And again, the purpose of this then is going to be that God is going to communicate to his people the place that he is going to prepare for them. They'll be shielded and spared through all these judgments. Yes, they will suffer. But God will have a special care for them. So that brings us to Revelation 12 then. A sign in heaven. The first sign in heaven is this woman. Now, who is this woman? I would say that this woman represents Israel. Now, why do I say Israel? Well, you'll know that, that this woman has... Uh, she's clothed with the sun, the moon is under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars, right? And that word, that number 12 there, brings us immediately back to the 12 tribes of Israel. And yet, as in, as in all these symbols in the book of Revelation, it's not just the literal ethnic Israel, but it has a, a wider meaning, right? Which we see in verse 17, the very last verse of Revelation 12 where it says the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So all believers in Jesus, all those who hold to the testimony of Jesus and keep the commandments of God are bound up with this woman. This woman is Israel, physical Israel, but especially spiritual Israel. Now this woman is pregnant and she is in labor. She's about to give birth. And this child that she's about to give birth to 
is a very important child. We read in verse 7, sorry, verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. So this is the, the Messiah, the Messiah King that Israel was waiting for and looking for, the one who was prophesied in the second psalm. I think we preached on that some time ago, right? The second psalm, which speaks about God anointing his servant to come and to rule the nations with a rod of iron. So this woman is pregnant. And, and those of us fathers here who have been with our wife when she gives birth know that a, never is there a time when a woman is in a more vulnerable and a more weak uh, condition than when she's giving birth, right? At that time, she needs uh, support and comfort, right? Because uh, the, the pain that she experiences uh, is, is overwhelming, isn't it? Well, this woman then, in that time when she is most vulnerable and most weak, well, there's another sign in heaven. There's another sign in heaven. And this now is a dragon. And children, I know there's many of you who love to study dinosaurs. You love to study the Tyrannosaurus Rex and the, and the Spinosaurus and all these different terrifying beasts that used to live upon this earth. Well, you could, you could take those, those dinosaurs, you take those dinosaurs now and, and think about much worse than that. Again, that's the picture that's given us of this second sign in heaven. Verse 3, then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. Now, I know, you know, it's, it's especially it seems that the, the picture of the Tyrannosaurus Rex, when you see it, has the most hideous head of any dinosaur. When you look at it, it, it just looks absolutely terrifying. Just the look of it would, would, send, would, would paralyze you with fear. But now think about the head of that dinosaur, and, and it has seven of those. Again, th th this animal is, is something, uh, you know, that, that, that even the imagery that they use to describe this animal, on these seven heads are ten horns. And on his heads were seven diadems. Now, the diadem there is different than a crown. A crown is something that you might win, like if you took first prize in an in a, uh, uh, athletic uh, competition. It would be like a, a trophy, we might call it, okay, that you won first prize. But a, a, a diadem here is what a king would wear. So this beast has these seven hideous heads, ten horns, and a, and a, and a, and a crown, as it were, a, a royal crown, a diadem on its head. And his tail is so awful and so strong that it sweeps away a third of the stars of heaven and throws them to the earth. Now here's this woman in her terribly weak condition. Here's this most hideous of all animals standing there. And now this animal, we're told in the scripture, has a specific purpose. There is a reason that he is there. He stands at that woman. He stands ready to consume the child that this woman is about to give birth to. He's ready to pounce. His seven heads are open. His jaw is set, right? The teeth are ready to grab this child and to devour it and to put an end to it the minute it's born. Do you see that picture? Do you see that picture this morning? Well, my friends, this, this child is born. This child is born. But the minute this child is born, we read in verse 5. And her child, at the end of verse 5, was caught up to God and to his throne. I'm assuming that this was an angel then. That came, having been sent by God, 
who swooped into that situation. And as that child bursts forth from the woman, the angel snatches that child before the beast can grab it and spirits it away to the throne of God. As quick as a flash, God sends his angel to grab that child and to take it away to his own throne. His own throne where God will protect it and God will care for it. And what about the woman? Well, you can imagine that the beast was enraged at this. And the woman, in verse 6, flees into the wilderness. Now, my friends, I want you to note very clearly the different places where the son, the birth, this infant child is taken away. The infant child is whisked away to heaven, to the throne of God. But not the woman. Could not God have whisked the woman as well to heaven? But that's not what we read, is it? It's not the will of God that the woman be taken to the throne room of God. Instead, we read that the woman flees into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness would not be a happy place to go. There's no civilization there. That's what a wilderness is, right? It's dry there. There's no food. There's no, there's no nutrition there to be had. It's not a place of, of... It's not a happy place. There's no home there. Right? In our day, people might go you know, on, a, on a tenting trip into the wilderness, but it's only temporary, right? And they, they, after staying a day or a week, they, they, they come home again. And so we, we must not think here that the wilderness is sort of a happy place. Yes, the woman finds protection there, but it's not a, a, a pleasant place by any stretch. It's a wilderness, a desert. And yet we read, my friends, these words, that she fled into the wilderness where she had a place Prepared by God. By the way, this, this is our text for this morning. She had a place prepared by God. So in that wilderness, in that, in that desolate place, God had, you might say, carved out a little place of protection for this woman. Where she will be cared for. In fact, you read on, it says, so there she would be nourished. And my friends, the, the word here is, that's why our translators have chose the word nourished. Because it's what a woman does to her nursing infant. When a woman nurses her child, and she, she cares for that child and provides for it, and she feeds that child with milk that her own body has prepared, that child is nourished. And in the same way, it says, so that there she would be nourished. Now, I, I, the, the translation in the is actually in, in verse 6, so that there they would nourish. I was looking for a footnoter there, but I don't see it. I, I don't know why it's translated that way. I'd have to look into that more. But I know the translation is so that there they would nourish her. So let me, let me begin with verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there they would nourish her for 1,260 days. So God and the angels, evidently, would, would nourish and care for this woman uh, in, a, in a way that is analogous to the way a woman provides for her infant child. That is a very tender care of that child. Now, the last thing we read here, then, is that it is for 1,260 days. 1,260 days. 
Now, the, the, uh, the premillennialist right, of our day would say that, that means th those are, that's the last half of the seven-year tribulation. I didn't do the math, but I guess 1,260 days would roughly equal three and a half years, maybe. But at any rate, the seven-year tribulation, the last half of it, the three and a half years or so they teach, uh, is, is, this, is this terrible time of tribulation uh, that God will bring. Well, the, the whole seven years... Well, let me start at the beginning. So at the beginning of the tribulation, God raptures out all his people, right? They're all, they all are carried away to heaven. Then during the seven years of dreadful tribulation, some of the people come to faith in Christ. And God provides a place for them in the wilderness where he, he protects them. And then at the end of that seven years uh, is when Christ comes and sets up his millennial kingdom for a thousand year reign. Now, my friends... <clears throat> Many times in the pulpit here I will say that you know, there are issues, there are disagreements uh, within Christian faith that we must tolerate. Uh, but but when you, even when I said that, did you hear the exact contradiction that it has with our text? The, text? the text says the opposite. Not that the saints are raptured out of the tribulation. No, the saints go into the wilderness. They, go, they, they, they face the tribulation of living in a society that is a wilderness to them. But that in that wilderness, God provides and protects and nourishes them. In fact, it was the son that was born, the Messiah, who was whisked away to heaven. Not the saints. And so again, I, I, you know, so much of, of these schemes, these end time schemes that people have, fly in the face of scripture. They, they, might, they might be in accordance with another place of scripture, but how this scripture can be interpreted in keeping with that idea of a seven-year tribulation is, is beyond me. It seems to directly contradict it. In fact, it's the sun that's raptured out, right? And the saints go through the tribulation. They go into the wilderness. They face all the desolation of living in a world where they are pilgrims, you might say. So I point that out to you. And Jesus himself taught us, right? In this world, you shall have tribulation. But fear not, I have overcome the world. Well, the 1,260 days then, how are we to understand that? Well, we understand that as a limited time. It's a time that has an end. Yes, it will last for 1,260 days. They will be in the wilderness. They will suffer. They will pass through tribulation. God will provide for them. And that time will come to an end. You see, the... the, the same idea repeated at the end of this chapter when it talks about uh, the, the, in verse 13, the dragon is going to persecute the woman who gave birth to the male child, but she is given two wings and she again flies into the wilderness. And notice in verse 14, Revelation 12 and verse 14, so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place. Her place, in other words, the place that God had carved out for her as a special place of protection, where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So it's time and times and half a time, but then it comes to an end. It's a limited time, and God will bring his children out of that tribulation, and he'll bring them to the same place where the sun was, to the throne in heaven. Well, my friends, this is the, this is the uh, teaching then that we're given in this place. And I think you can see how 
uh, fitting a text this is for the time when we come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That this is a place, my friends, in the wilderness, yes, but still a place where God will nourish his people. And I'd like to reflect on you with that as we uh, celebrate communion together. At this time, then, let's